I just wanted to start this morning off with a show of hands. How many of you would say that you're a, a Star Wars fan? Just show of hands, raise your hand, right? Uh, I would consider myself a pretty big Star Wars fan, and this season that we're in, it's kind of like a, like a big season for, for all of us who enjoy the Star Wars series, because, well, first, if, if you're unaware, uh, Disney took over the world recently and launched this thing called Disney+, Plus, and then they were trending for, like, multiple weeks with the cute little baby Yoda, right? Hashtag Mandalorians, hashtag baby Yoda, you know, you're trying to find if they sell them on Amazon or not because your kid wants one. Just uh, in, in a few days, the ninth installment of the Star Wars saga comes out, the 11th movie of all time. How many of you guys plan to go see this, this movie? Yeah, you know, it's kind of that weird thing of, yeah, it's Star Wars, I'm going to go see it. The last one was, you know, was kind of trash, but let's not get into it too much, and that type of stuff. Uh, you know, the Christmas season always reminds me growing up that uh, after we would open our presents and whatnot, we would always get out uh, the VHS. For those of you who are like under 20, a VHS was this weird black box and that had magic in it and you put it into a, a bigger black box and it would project it onto another black box that was called the TV back in the day. And we, but we, we would watch Star Wars all the time growing up. My dad was a huge Star Wars fan. But uh, as your pastor, I feel like it's time for me to come clean about something. Uh, and this is somewhat of an unpopular opinion, so hopefully you don't get up and walk out this morning. Don't judge me too much. Hopefully you'll pray for my soul after I tell you this. I think my favorite Star Wars movie out of all of them isn't even one from the original series or, or the next three. It's actually Rogue One. Yeah, okay, so not like there's like a couple like glaring looks, not a few, you know, not many boos and what. And so Rogue One, it's kind of like the best of both worlds. You have some relatable characters, but it's also a new storyline. And the best part about it is it connects the, the gaping hole between episode three and episode four. It's just this awesome. And then the ending is just so good how it just like it sets up the beginning of the fourth movie. And, and the reason why I love uh, the Rogue One movie is because there's, there's this particular part in which Dalen Erso, she's kind of the, the lead character for Rogue One, and she's trying to rally the rebel troops, and she's saying, we need to go in, we need to get the plans of the Death Star to take out evil, and just to kind of to just get them out of the way, and so that good can triumph, and, and then this moment in which she's giving this pitch, one of the commanders of the army looks her in the eye, and it kind of zooms in on him, and he, and he says this, this question, he says, are you suggesting that we go invade imperial forces based on hope? And then it gets kind of silent, and the music starts to reverberate, boom, and, and, it, and it zooms in on her, and she gives this zinger of the line when she says, but rebellions are built on hope. And then John Williams does what he does, and it's like, oh! And then they go into this massive battle, and they get in, and they save the day. They get the Death Star plans, and then Darth Vader shows up, and everybody loses their mind because he's awesome and that type of stuff. But what we get to notice is that the, the theme of hope is central throughout the entire Star Wars series. The fourth movie, in fact, is titled A New Hope. Because what hope is, is essentially, it's this thing that we all can relate to. That something is wrong. Something is broken. Something is off. And so we hope that someday it will be fixed. It will be made right again, that good will triumph over evil. But the thing is, true hope isn't just like a fingers crossed, 
I hope this works out, or, or a hunch that, that something good is going to happen. True hope is something much stronger and much more powerful. And it's that hope that we surround the Christmas season with. We remember that hope that Jesus brings, and we remember the hope that we look forward to in all of eternity. And so today we are in week two of our preaching series called Prepare Him Room. Traditionally, the 25 days leading up to Christmas are referred to as Advent. Now, customarily, you may not know this or not, I in fact just learned this this year, that Advent would typically mark the beginning of the Christian calendar, not the end. And so this, this season, this period of waiting and expectation is actually to prepare us to move forward throughout the next year instead of just finishing the year strong. And so we took that idea and said perhaps this idea of preparing him room, it's in one of the lines and one of the carols we sing, what if we saw this as not just a way for our hearts and our homes and our spirits to be full throughout this season, but it's a preparation of the year to come. You see, Advent, it kind of brings a dual nature for us in the church. In some ways, we remember and we look back. We reflect on baby Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, came to this earth for this, to take over and triumph over sin and death and to bring us new life. And in another way, we also look forward to, we hope for the life that is to come in the eternity with him in God in heaven. And Advent comes with four key words. Perhaps you grew up in, in a church or a household where you celebrated the Advent with the four calendars. It's those four words, love, hope, joy, and peace. We talked about love last week. Today we're talking about hope, and then we'll finish it up with joy and peace in the coming week. And so today we're, we're diving into this idea of hope. Now I want you to take a moment. I want you to think of the last time that you hoped for something. This could be a big thing. It could be a small thing. Perhaps you were hoping for a particular present. Maybe there was a, a bigger hope for a relationship to be restored, for a sickness to be healed. Maybe you threw your name into a hat for a job or a promotion. You see, hope comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes throughout our life. It can be big things. It can be small things. Sometimes our hopes become realized, and other times... I think we could all share stories of times in which we've hoped for something and it didn't come to fruition. And so today we're going to dive in and see why, why hope is so important in the life of our faith and why that's a hope that never changes in the life of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark this morning. It's about uh, six-sevenths away through the Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament, they're commonly referred to as the Gospels. They give us a biography of the life of Jesus. And so Mark is the second uh, biography, the second account of the life of Jesus. Matthew, then Mark. Chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Through verse 4, follow along with me this morning. Mark says it, The beginning of the good news, it's a phrase that means the gospel, about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, this was written over 600 years prior to Jesus coming to earth. The prophet Isaiah said, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. You're kind of saying, okay, I came to church today. It's the Christmas season. Where's baby Jesus lying in a manger bringing hope to the world? Who's this Isaiah guy? Who's this John the Baptist guy? Where, where are they coming into play? This is supposed to be Christmas. Where's the Christmas story? And we're choosing this passage because this sets us up to receive the Christmas story in, in its entirety. So I love kind of how Mark starts, though. He says, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about his gospel, his good news. He says, we've got to go back 600 years to Isaiah and remember those words. And then we've got to remember the one who paved the way, who prepared the way. His name was John. It's almost as if Mark is kind of doing this thing. He's, he's kind of rallying the troops, getting everyone hyped up. He's saying, all right, you guys remember how long we've been waiting, right? And everyone's like, yeah. And it's, been, it's not just been decades. It's been centuries that we've been waiting for this good news. And everyone's like, yeah. And when our ancestors had lost their way, what did we do? We hoped. And when we were lost and God delivered us, what did we do? We relied on that hope. And remember the prophet, the words of Isaiah. You remember? And everyone's like, yeah. And then Mark gets this opportunity. Opportunity, he says, and so here he is, John the Baptist. <laughs> and everyone's like, wait a second. Who's, who's this John guy? What, what, what's, what's going on here? See, verses 2 and 3, they kind of begin to say that preparation was necessary. That God didn't just say, here's the problem, here's Jesus, I solved it. But there's this idea of waiting, this preparation that needed to happen in the life of Israel I think it applies to us today, that there is something about the wait that gives us time to develop hope and faith that lasts for a lifetime. Because in the realm of faith, this is what hope essentially becomes. Hope, it's a promise in waiting. For hundreds and hundreds of years, God promised the Savior of the world through the line of David. For hundreds and hundreds of years, they began to try to figure this out. What does it look like to walk with God? And again, here comes John the Baptist to specifically prepare the way for Jesus to come. If I'm being honest with you, I think for me, the hardest part in hope is the waiting part, right? Hope is kind of like two things. You're waiting in one way, trusting that it's going to happen. I remember when I was like eight, nine years old, there was this one present that I specifically wanted for Christmas this year. Now, I'm not going to say what present that is because my mom typically watches online. And when I tell the story that she didn't get me this present, she's going to be super sad and get all depressed and probably try to send it to me. So I'm not going to say what toy it was for the sake of mom. Mom, I love you. Thank you for all the other presents that you have given to me over the course of my life. But here's the thing is, is there's this one toy in particular, and I was like dropping the hints hardcore, like the commercials would come on and be like, oh man, this is like the coolest toy ever. And in the catalogs, I would circle it and I would start it and I'd post it on the fridge. And then every time mom or dad came home, I would kind of look at the size of the bags that they brought. I was like, okay, that one's a little too small. Yeah, yeah, that's a little too big. I would sneak into the trunk or to the closet to see if they got it. There was this anticipation that was growing and building. And I remember Christmas Day, we began to open our presents. And I was just so excited. I was like, I know for a fact that they have gotten me because I sent the hints and everything. And I got through all of the presents, and then I was demoralized because that was the one thing that I wanted and I didn't get to that year. The waiting became this, this pain and this agony. And then eventually I just began to lose hope that it was going to become a reality. Now, now take that and multiply it by like a bajillion. 
Here you are, somebody from the nation of Israel. You've been told that the Messiah is coming. And you don't wait for just a few months. You don't wait for just a few years. You don't wait for a few decades. You wait for hundreds upon hundreds of years. I can imagine the, the nation of Israel kind of just having this internal dialogue with God. God, God. God, don't you see what's happening in the world around us? Things are kind of getting a little chaos. Things are a little broken. They're not the way that we want it to be. We, we're going to assume it's not the way that you want it to be. God, are you even aware of what's happening? You keep telling us to cling to hope. And day after day, year after year, decade after decade passes over and over and over again. And you still have not delivered on this promise yet. God, what is happening? Because in waiting... There's the chance to prepare to receive the hope that is to come. For thousands of years, the nation of Israel, the people of God, for the sake of the nations of the world, they saw sin begin to creep in a little bit more, taking a little bit more ground this time. The priests would temporarily lift it, the judges would fight the bondage to try to keep it at bay. The kings would lead away from it and back into it because of their own sinfulness. And the prophets would continue to warn about it. The problem has gotten stark. It's become aware to everyone. But then in a moment, the narrative shifts. Mark opens his gospel. The beginning of the good news. The wait is over. The hope that the world needs has come because the preparer of the way has arrived. But it makes me ask the question, what did John need to prepare people for? What is the gospel all about? What is the good news that Mark is writing to us all about? See, the Christian life, the Christian faith is not just about some average person who gave some wise sayings. The Christian life is not just about, here's a handful of religious tidbits that will hopefully make your life better or easier. It's not some half-baked promise or contingent offer. No, 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 it's a reality that the bondage of sin, the brokenness that we see around us, will be conquered once and for all. That the plan of God begins to be realized. God prepared a plan because the world needed hope. It's at this moment that the narrative begins to shift, that the hope that the, the Israelites and perhaps the whole world was maybe beginning to think, is this ever going to be solved? Is this problem of sin, this gap between us and God, ever going to be fixed? And then finally, the hope has arrived. In the same way, though, that hope needed to come and that we go looking and clinging for hope in this life, that the beginning of the good news has come to us, it still means one thing. It means that there was and still is some bad news out there. But without the bad news, there can't be good news. Look at how Mark kind of continues in this, this thought. If you jump over to Verse 14, we begin to see the purpose of the arrival of Jesus. 
It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Could you imagine that moment? Could you imagine being in Galilee and here walks in this man who the prophets talked about for hundreds and upon hundreds of years and he gives this proclamation, the time has come. And he gives us one encouragement. He says, you want to have hope in this life. You're aware of the distance between you and God. That there's this, this urge, this sense that lives in every single one of us that, that I really don't want this life to be all that there is because I'm kind of making a mess of it. I'm not super proud. Some weeks it's good, some weeks not so much. It's, it's kind of always in flux and in motion. And here comes Jesus, and Jesus says, I will deliver you this hope. And all you have to do is one thing. Repent and believe. He doesn't say work your way, earn your way, be good enough, outweigh your good works with your bad works, just kind of be nice to everyone you come across. No, no, he gives this point-blank answer, this answer of grace and truth. He says, repent of your sins and believe in me, the Messiah. William Barclay, he's a, he's a scholar who writes these words on it, talking about the intersection of faith and hope. He says that the Christian waits not for death, but for life. See, prior to life in Jesus, we are all waiting to die. And then when we cross over into the hope that Jesus brings, we are simply waiting for eternal life with him. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, when Paul says, I consider it all a wash, it all worthless, compared to the surpassing joy and hope of knowing Jesus as Lord. See, the bad news unfortunately, is that we are all sinful. We are all broken. We've made mistakes. We've made a mess. The good news is that Jesus came. John the Baptist and Jesus, they had one message. Repent from your sin. Believe in me. Receive the true gift of hope. See, the word repent in the Greek, if you were to kind of go back to its Greek words, it's this word that means to turn about, to turn away. It's a 180 degree turn. The word sin, it's a Greek word, it's an archery term. That means when you were to take a bow out of your quiver and you would aim at a target and you would fire, but if you would miss, that is called sin. So sin is literally to miss the mark. And so John the Baptist comes and prepares the way. Jesus ushers in this one true message that if you've been looking for hope in this life, that does not change. Hope for power over sin, hope for new life. You repent of your sin. You turn the other way from missing the mark. That Jesus ushers in a new life into us that says you no longer have to walk through life thinking, have I missed the mark or not? Is God happy with me or not? Am I good with God or not? No, no, no. Jesus, I've taken care of all of that. I've gotten rid of it. So repent of the way in which you have missed and believe in the way in which I have not missed. Follow after me. Believe. Because John has prepared this message and I have come. How many of you like 
cleaning. Like, you know, if you, it's okay. You can show hands. You can even do like a little halfsy thing right there. Like, I don't want to admit it because if I, if I admit it, then the person next to me is going to make me do all the cleaning, right? Cleaning is one of those things that I think a lot of us like don't like to do, but we all enjoy like a clean home. Can we all just be honest for a second? Like, that's a lot of us. If we could just have like magic elves that ran around cleaning everything for us, life would be so much better. Now, recently, uh, my, my wife, the one thing she wanted for Christmas, and this is a sign of having kids and getting into your 30s and all that type of stuff. She's like, the one thing I want for Christmas is a steam mop. I'm just going to let that sit. And so uh, I was at Meyer the other day, and I was walking up and down the aisles, and not only did I find a steam mop, I found, like, the Taj Mahal of steam mops. Like, this thing has attachments, and it has, you know, it's got a big mop and a small mop and all these little nozzles and that type of stuff, and it was like 60% off. I was like, I've got to have this. i got to take this home, give it to my wife before Christmas so that she can clean the house to do Christmas. And this thing, I'm telling you guys, it's incredible. Like, not only does it steam floors, it steams countertops, it steams appliances, it steams vegetables, it steams kids. Like, anything that you can think of, this steam mop has it covered. And we're in that season in which you're constantly cleaning the house, right? Your group is coming over for the white elephant Christmas thing. You got, you got that side of the family coming over, that side. So you're just constantly cleaning the house. And I have this running joke with my wife. It's not really a joke. It's kind of just the reality. I said, cleaning is the worst. Because the worst part about cleaning is, is you get everything clean, you get everything in order, only for people to come in and mess it up. I would appreciate it if people clean themselves before they come into my house so I don't have to clean up after them. But that's what we do. When we're preparing guests that we're excited to see, when there are people that we want to welcome into our home to treat them like family, what do we do? We prepare the way for them to feel comfortable, for them to feel welcome. It's exactly what John did for Jesus. Let me prepare the way. Let me show you what needs to be cleaned so that when that guest comes, he will take over this house and he will invite each and every one of us to come in. He is aware of the mess. He is aware of the dirt that we will carry into that house. He says, don't worry about that. I've taken care of that. Repent and believe. And that's where we receive hope in Jesus. See, hope about anything in this life is, again, it's that way of saying something's off, something's wrong, Something's not the way it should be. And God's response to that is, I know. I, I, I know life isn't the way you want it to be. I know the world isn't functioning the way you think it ought to be. I know that because that's not the way I created it to be. I am aware that the world is off. I am aware of the effects of sin. I am aware in the way in which people treat each other. I'm aware of just the decisions we make that continue to make a little bit of mess over and over. I am so aware that God says, no, but don't worry, I've got that covered. I have a plan. I will give you hope that overcomes all of that. But the hardest part about that is oftentimes we seek to find hope in something other than Jesus to fix those problems. So where do you seek hope in your life? Because to me, hope, it puts you in this tension. What I know to be true 
or what I want to be true versus what I see all around me. What I know to be true or what I want to believe to be true is that there's a loving God. But I see the turmoil, the sickness, the injustice all around me. What I know to be true or or what I want to be true I believe in the sanctity of marriage, but on this hand, I see 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Where's the hope there? Well, well, what I know to be true or or what I want to feel is true is that money can't solve all of life's problems. But on the other hand, a little bit more would kind of loosen things up. You see, most of us, we approach life and hope in God with this way. We we begin to say, okay, God, here's the plan. God, I'm going to make a deal with you. I will, I will believe you. I will trust in you. I will hope in you, Lord. But I need you to come do this first. I need you to fix this problem. I need you to address this issue. I need to show up in that person's life. I need you to heal that person. I need you to resolve this issue. And if you do that, God, then I will say, okay, yeah, I can trust you. And so I will hope in you in this life and in the life to come. The problem with that thinking is it prioritizes this life over eternity. One of the things that we've promised to you guys as our church is to never pull punches with the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus means that there is bad news. At the same time, too, the good news of Jesus does not mean your life is always going to be easy does not mean your life will be perfect. It does not mean that God becomes a cosmic genie that addresses all of your issues in life. In fact, there's evidence throughout Scripture and throughout history that people following Jesus sometimes face even more hardship and trials. But they've begun to realize that the true hope is not found in this life, but in the life to come. If you are waiting for your life to get better, for things to be fixed, for things to be made right before you hope in God, you may never get that chance to hope in God in the way that he deserves. But if you come to the realization that standing before God for all of eternity, that sin separates you from him, and you need that to be removed, that path has been prepared, that home has been opened when we repent and believe in Jesus. It's hard for me to say that. Some of you came here this morning saying, all right, it's Christmas. Let's get these happy-go-lucky messages. Get me feeling good about myself and go home and and watch some football and get some of the chili cooking on the stove. Some of you are leaning in not because you agree but because you disagree. You're saying, Eric, hope is hard enough to come by. I have a hard enough time finding hope in just anything in this life, and, and that's just really tough. You're just you're telling me that this is the way it could be? I, I've lived that firsthand. Two weeks ago uh, today, or, or last night really, it was about 8 p.m. in the evening, and our 10-month-old child was, was whining a lot. Now, she's 10 months old, so she does that quite a bit, but it was a little more than normal. And so my wife goes in and brings her out into the living room, and she's super hot, just, just very hot. Clearly, she has a fever, and she's holding our daughter in her arms, and then my daughter starts to go stiff. Her eyes begin to roll back into her head, and she begins to seize. And so we, we strip her all of her clothes off. We put her on the floor on her side. She begins to aspirate there in front of us. 
We call 911, the paramedics come, they take her to the hospital, we get to the ER, she's got a fever of well over 104, almost 105. Now the weird thing about it, after her seizure, it lasted a couple minutes, it didn't really phase me that much. Because about a year to the day, our son, when he was about two and a half, had a similar thing, except his seizure didn't last a minute or two. His seizure lasted for five, six minutes. We get him to the hospital where he proceeded to have a seizure for close to an hour. There's no feeling of hopelessness in this life than watching your flesh and blood unable to talk and even walk at that moment. Wondering if they're going to be alive the next morning. Wondering if they're going to be okay. There's no feeling of hopelessness that I can even imagine that compares to that. It's in those moments that I'm grateful for all of our doctors and our nurses, for those of you who commit your life to doing no harm, to healing people. It's in those moments that I was reminded that if I seek to find hope in something in this life, if that's where I anchor my soul and my joy and my happiness, it could be taken from me in an instant. I think this is kind of what happens in our life. Sometimes I feel like we feel like life is a mountain and that God lives at the top of the mountain and we live down here at the bottom of the mountain. And God's just up here hanging out, doing his thing. He's God. He's a, and we're just running around like crazy. We're stressing out. We find ourselves wondering and shouting, God, are you even aware? Do you even know what's happening? And a lot of religions will tell you, well, yeah, God gets to be up there, and you have to start down here. And if you're good enough, and if you work hard enough, then maybe you can make your way up the mountain. You can scale your way up there, and maybe you can at one point find hope. You can find peace in the God that exists up there. I'm here to tell you that's not my God. That's not my Jesus. My God was at the summit. He was on his throne in heaven, and he says, I see what's going on, and I am coming down to you. I am sending my son, Jesus, so that as your life gets chaotic, as that sin begins to wreak havoc, you will have a hope that surpasses all understanding. That is the story of Advent. That is the reason for Christmas, that hope came down to us. Jesus delivers hope to the world because he knew we needed it. There's a lot of ways to hope in this life. There's a lot of people, places, things to try to place your hope. There are a lot of things in which we need hope for. But the good news the truth of the gospel is that there is no bad news that the hope of Jesus cannot overcome. Look at how the author of Hebrews, as we close this morning, talks about living with that hope that only Jesus provides. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 16, says, people swear by someone greater than themselves. That's true, isn't it? Inside these walls or outside these walls, people hope on something. 
And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. He's talking about Jesus as our great high priest. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf, meaning he has prepared the room for us to step into the glory of God. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Move to a time of response this morning. I'm encouraged by this story, this truth of the gospel, that Jesus delivers us hope. A few thousand years ago, there was a woman by the name of Mary who believed in faith. She was a virgin and bore a son named Jesus. For 30 years, that boy grew up just like any other man. He grew up as a carpenter. And then from 30 to 33, he began to do this ministry, proving that he was the son of God. He would heal people. He would teach parables. He would welcome the people who had been pushed out of society, ultimately to deliver and prepare the way for him to die on a cross, to raise from the grave three days later. And so that anyone who repents of their sin and believes in Jesus is delivered a hope that does not change. So where are you seeking hope in your life? Not just this season, but through every season. See, I think what Hebrews is doing is a challenge and it's an encouragement at the same time too. Because what we will all face at some point is life will begin to creep in on you. Life will begin to swirl around you, begin to try to squeeze you. And in those moments in which life has surrounded you, the only thing that you can cling to, when life has gone chaotic, when you don't know which way to turn, when, when, when everything just has crowded and boxed you in, the only thing that you have in those moments is the things that you hope for. The author of Hebrews, he's making it clear. He's saying you can hope in, in one thing, in one thing only. If you want it to be firm, if you want it to be secure, if you want it to be the anchor of your soul. He doesn't say, so, so, so hope in your job. He doesn't say hope in your wallet. Hope in your family, hope in your kids, hope in your spouse, hope in your home, hope in your joy. He doesn't say anything. He says, you can't hope in any of that because that stuff changes. Overnight, that job could be gone. Money comes and goes. People get sick. People, things happen. But if you want a hope that is secure, if you want an anchor for your soul in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, in the lightest of days and in the darkest of nights, the others are here. He just simply says, you have one hope, and that hope is Jesus. It is firm. The purpose is clear. It is unchanging. He is our anchor in Christ alone.
Where do you seek hope in this life? Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we worship you because you are good. We have done nothing to earn your love. We have done nothing to earn your goodness. Our praises are nowhere near what you deserve. Thank you that you prepared the way, that you prepared the room for us to have a relationship with you. For those who repent and believe in your son, Jesus, the grace that he extends to us on the cross and through his resurrection, through his spirit, through his baptism. Lord, I just pray right now for the people in this room who need hope. Whether it's something big or it's something small, may your spirit overwhelm them. May your spirit provide that comfort and that peace. May they find hope in your promise, in your truth, in your good news, in your spirit. Lord, may we patiently wait the hope that you have given to us. In your name that we pray, amen. As we respond in worship this morning, we invite you to do this through a few ways with us. Number one, maybe you want to respond by giving back to God generously with your tithes and offerings. If you came prepared with that, you can drop it in one of the given respond boxes during this time, or you can get open the Give app if you would choose to do that as well. Throughout the room, there are also stations uh, with these little tables with these little lights on them. At these stations is a little cracker and a little juice that represent the body of Christ that was broken for you, the blood of Christ that was spilt for you, that when we repent and believe in the work of Jesus, he delivers us that hope. And there are also benches here at the front of the stage. We invite you, if you want to come forward, if there's anything that you need to go to God before, find that hope, find that peace, find that comfort to confess this sin, to praise God for the way that he's blessed you. Whatever it is, we invite you to do that during this time as well.